Welcome to episode 25 of the Worship is Life podcast, where worship equals relationship and relationship is the purpose of life. I'm your producer, Taylor Marshall, and today's guest is Dr. Jim Bradford, and here's your host, Todd Marshall. Hello, Taylor, my son. So great to be with you on another episode It's going to be a good day. It is. It's exciting here for me. I'm so excited about this conversation with my brother-in-law, your uncle. I was tempted to say our guest is Dr. (laughs) Uncle Jim Bradford because I call him Uncle Jim, but yeah. We're going to have an amazing faith and science conversation today. Mm-hmm. Um, but just real quick, uh, give us an update about your latest song and your monthly song journey. Okay. So I am a little bit behind on the song a month thing, but we're squeezing it in. Uh, the June song came out a few weeks ago. Wait a second. Yeah. End of June. And it's, oh man, I'm confused. The end of July in the next 10 days or so, the next song's coming out and it's act, nobody knows this yet, but it's actually, we created it to be the opener of my show. So it's like a new opener to the show, which I just nice. remembered on August 26th. I am opening uh, at a at a first annual Christian music festival in Isle, Minnesota. Um, you can find information about it online. I believe it's free. I'm opening right before like Riley Clemens and I think Jason Gray is the headliner. I know Sanctus Real Building 429 will be there. It's like a three day festival. Really fun. You're gonna want to come check it out. And I just mm-hmm. thought about that now. So very cool. Uh, you can come hear the new music there. Very cool. Yeah, and a Pakistan ministry update, um, in particular with the orphanage and school right. building. Um, the exterior is done. The rooms are done inside. I sent out an email to our supporters a couple of weeks ago saying we need a couple thousand to finish the floor, surfacing, uh, outfit the kitchen, uh, get mattresses and bedding for the beds that they have built themselves. And yeah, in the last 48 hours, all that has come in. Let's go. And so uh, we are very close Praise to Lord. opening this thing up and so excited It's been a long journey. That. It's exciting. Yeah, it's been, a, it's been an amazing journey. I never thought um, we'd be touching a corner of the world like that in this way. So mm-hmm. really awesome. Well, let's get into yeah, let's do uh, the rest of our audience meeting our brother-in-law slash uncle slash world famous minister speaker, <laughs> uh, science experts. Um, yes, Doctor Uncle Brother-in-law Jim Bradford, we welcome you to the welcome. Worship Is Life podcast. Well, thank you. My, we have a lot of titles, but it's true. We have a lot of connections. Yes, we do. Uh, uh, it's an honor to be uh, with you both, Todd and Taylor. I know, uh, Todd, we had you here a few weeks ago to speak. I pastor at Central Assembly in Springfield, Missouri. We came, did a weekend with our worship community, and then with the whole congregation on Worship is Life. It was excellent, and uh, um, always, always great for the opportunity to hang out. I know I have mm-hmm. three younger sisters, and Todd, you married the middle of those three, mm-hmm. age-wise of mm-hmm. those three. Brenda Bradford. And uh, love, uh, yeah, and love having you uh, in the family. And of course, then Taylor came along. We're so proud of him. Yep. So uh, what always impressed me about Taylor is when he was a little kid, he could solve the Rubik's Cube <laughs> yeah. in less than two minutes, I think. If That's I a good correctly. memory. Yeah, that's a good memory. Uh, yeah, well, I never forgot that because I could never do that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing. That's amazing. Yeah, when he was 10 years old, I actually used him as an object lesson when I was speaking. He was solving it behind me with a timer yeah. on the screen. The cat is out of the bag. I don't know if the podcast <laughs> knew that about me, but now they do. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, well. Oh, man. It yeah. makes the rest of us sick just knowing you can do that. <laughs> <laughs> but, 
anyway, <laughs> That's funny. We'll try not to be jealous. You know what? If I know anybody, if I know anybody that could figure it out, I think it'd be you, Uncle Jim. I I remember sitting there so frustrated looking at it and then realizing my 10-year-old friend or whatever could do it at the time. I was like, how the heck? And then I realized there's instructions to it. And if you follow the instructions, but enough people aren't, they just kind of think, nope, I can't do that. And so if I know probably anybody, you could probably figure it out in an hour if I sent you the instructions, Uncle Jim. <laughs> yeah, yeah, if sure. I had instructions, maybe. But yeah, right. <laughs> I just always thought you were brilliant and I was... You still are. I'll take oh, the credit. <laughs> well, let us know if that's... Uh, on your bucket list yeah, right. to do, and we can help you. We'll make we it happen. Out there. Uh, yeah, and we were all together just a few weeks ago with a mm-hmm. family reunion honoring your mom who just passed away a little over a year ago. Mm-hmm. So that was a great time that we had together just a few weeks back. And of course, right. I go way back with you. First time I saw who was to be my wife was when she was singing at your wedding back in the summer of 84. Oh, yeah. Were you guys married? 84? Yep. In the Three, chapel 83. of 83. Okay. Yeah. In the chapel. Yeah. 83. Chapel of North Central. And uh, didn't meet her. Um, little known that uh, I'd be eventually marrying her. But but yeah, we've been, uh, you and I have been joined together ever since then and had just lots of great conversations and um, admirations and uh, you uh, doing. The wedding for our daughter in New York mm-hmm. to Ben yep, yep. and um, and us having uh, our first and so far only grandchild born a week apart from each other. So that's mm-hmm. been fun. Yes. And right. um, yeah, so um, great. Uh, it's just yeah, it's just been an honor to be a part of this family and um, just watch all the different ways that the Lord has led and worked through you. Um, I'm sure there's some people listening to this that would not know that you served for nine years as the general secretary for the Assemblies of God, and um, and now you're pastoring the church that is right across the street, which you were actually pastoring before, and then serving as interim, and now back to pastoring again. So the journeys you've had and the whole story um, that I'm sure you'll share a little bit about your journey of getting your PhD in aerospace engineering, um, uh, which has led you to making multiple presentations in the faith and science uh, world. And that is the... uh, So my my point is, um, this interview could go a variety of Mm -hmm. different ways um, with your leadership ability, especially, and your leadership on teaching um, we know, I want to let the people know about your book, Lead So Others Can Follow. Yeah. And then for all the preachers out there, your book, Preaching, Maybe It Is Rocket Science, is a great, great book. And then you've got a third book, Second Chronicles 714, A 28-Day Journey in Prayer. Hmm. Um, and then I also want to let the, know, the folks know that um, in the notes of this podcast will be your website, That leads to, among other things, your podcast, which is uh, a great leadership podcast. Mm -hmm. So that's jimbradford.org. And I will remind them about that again in the outro and in the notes. Um, But yeah, so we're going to go down this conversation of faith and science. So just in a nutshell, uh, Jim, I know um, 
they can find a 40 minute telling of your story um, online, but just kind of in a nutshell, just your journey through Chi Alpha Ministry, your, uh, air, your aerospace PhD, and then your offer from NASA, but your obedience in going into full-time ministry. Mm-hmm. Let our listeners know a little bit about that story. Uh, thank you, Todd, for all your kind comments. Um, I grew up in a uh, dynamic Christian home. Uh, your wife and and me and our two sisters. Um, and from the time I was young, really met Jesus before I was 10 years old in a very personal way. And I I go went into my teen years. I, I love Jesus. I also really love science. And, uh, you know, you carry a little background fear, like maybe, you know, maybe science and the Bible don't fit completely. Mm. Um, could science ever take away my faith? That was maybe just a background anxiety at times, mm. but not a huge one. I uh, probably watched Star Trek too much too, but <laughs> I, I loved I loved science, uh, and I loved um, I loved Jesus. I had a great physics teacher when I was in my junior year in high school, and uh, things kind of sealed and through a lot of prayer. I, I felt that, that I, I should uh, pursue engineering, so aerospace engineering. And so I ended up getting my PhD from the University of Minnesota in aerospace engineering. Um, I attended college for nine years straight, four years to get a bachelor's degree, another couple of years to get a master's, and wow. then three more to get a PhD. Mm. So I graduated when I was 26 years old. However, uh, at the University of Minnesota, I became a part of a small Bible study that the Assemblies of God had started a few years earlier in their student movement called Chi Alpha, which is Greek letter C-A for Christ's Ambassadors. And um, a little Bible study I inherited because leaders uh, left or graduated. And so I shrunk that from 12 down to three by the time <laughs> I bachelor's degree. But I decided to stay at the University of Minnesota for grad school. And um, kind of failing like that in my first spiritual leadership attempt, both confirmed I should probably be an engineer, but also made me desperately hungry for God. Hmm. It was quite a quite a spiritual journey the next year and a half. And then uh, during uh, halfway through fall semester of my second year of grad school, the Lord did an absolute miracle. I, I don't know how it happened, but I walked into a little what would have been a little campus ministry Bible study, our weekly meeting, and 65 students were there. Mm. And the Spirit of God just came. You talk about worship. That place just began to worship the Lord. The presence of God filled that room. Mm. And students came back the next week, started bringing their friends, and we're at 100. And so I spent my last three and a half years in graduate school, finishing my PhD, uh, pastoring that group. As well, I just basically the student leader. I wasn't called the, the pastor necessarily, yeah. but I was the main student leader. And uh, when I graduated, uh, over that last year, uh, my advisor said uh, we could give you, you know, just tell me where in the country you want to live because with the research we're doing, I could get you a job anywhere in the country. I'd already turned down an opportunity to work with Rockwell. They were still finalizing like heat transfer problems on the nose cone of the sp- space shuttle. Wow. And, uh, but I wanted to, that was at my master, uh, in 
I wanted to go on to grad school, so I said no to that. I also been offered a job from Boeing uh, and things. Um, and my hope was to eventually work for NASA, but um, uh, I just felt like um, I was supposed to stay at the University of Minnesota after I graduated, live by faith financially, and give myself full time to pastoring that hmm. campus ministry. Hmm. After, after a year, we took 120 out of that campus ministry and started meeting on Sundays on campus as a university church. Wow. So 40 years of still there. Wow. And um, I, I, I'm, I'm not there anymore, but um, one of my students who was a math major back in those days, he now is pastor. Church, yeah, Pastor and he Craig. was one of my professors at North Central. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Right. He's an excellent Bible teacher, yeah, he and is. he does that adjunct at North Central and mm-hmm. still pastors that church. Yeah. Yep. So I backed into being vocational minister, uh, but I still carry you know quite an interest in science. I've lost a lot of the mathematical tools. You know, I did study calculus for five years, but a lot of the mathematical tools, after 40 years, you kind of lose them. But uh, but I still, you know, sometimes read physics books in my time off. And I, I, I love, uh, it's fascinating to me how this world works, how the universe works. Yeah. And, um, and, and I've, I've worked through the issues of that, that really go against what you're here, especially with the rise of the new atheism 20 years ago. Um, it's, it's, whereas, whereas I might have lived with a little anxiety that maybe the Bible and science weren't totally compatible, but by faith, I'll trust what the Bible says. Mm-hmm. Uh, but now the new atheism has reset that conversation mm. in not compatibility language, but, but war language. Like, mm. like faith is the enemy of science and science oh, is yeah. the enemy of faith. And yeah. that's how you see it here portrayed now. So that's, that's partly why, I've, in the last 10 to 15 years of my life, kind of re-engaged this whole faith science mm. di- dialogue. And it's kind of like my ministry life and my academic life kind of coming back full circle together um, at a time where where science is one of the top five excuses of choice for millennials dropping out of the church. Mm-hmm. I do not think that needs to happen at all. Mm. But that's the way the argument is being uh, Yep. for us these days. Yeah. Wow. Hmm. Well, that's an amazing story. And I love your passion and intentionality of staying connected to the world of science and helping people navigate through that, it's amazing. Uh, which has now become uh, a, a battle, as you said, even in, in language. Um, and of course, there's a variety of ways uh, or ways we could go with this, but I'm going to selfishly start our conversation in the area of creation. Um, I say selfishly because a couple different reasons. So uh, every once in a great while, I will get this knot in my stomach that comes from the thought of, okay, what if... What if everything I believe about God is not not so? Yeah. You know right. what you've you know you've alluded to. You know, uh, even as a, a young person, um, just mm-hmm. having that having that question, and whenever that knot comes, 
the thing that always brings me back is creation. Like that has become mm-hmm. my foundational go-to um, when I just just when I look around me and I experience, and even more so as we discover how huge and vast and probably eternal the universe is, and then you look at this pinpoint of an earth in such perfect order in everything relating to each other, it just screams intelligent design. From my worldview, there's no other even logical conclusion. Um, And so creation is just always my go-to. And within that creation, the second thing is my, that my go-to is relationship, which this podcast is all about. Our ministry is all about because Mm -hmm. everything in creation is within, is relating to itself and the foundation of humanity is relationship, which then tells me, okay, my creator is relational. Um, and so, and so creation along with relationship is always my go-to when that knot comes up. Um, but as, but as science has expanded, um, in the Christian world, then our our interpretation of Genesis one and two um, has expanded into a bunch of different possibilities because it's all mystery, right? None of us were there. <laughs> none right. of us were yeah. there. So, exactly. so trying to figure this yeah. thing out is all mystery and none of us has a, a scientific answer that we can put in our back pocket and get everybody to agree on 100%. Right. That's just not going to happen. But because of that, we've had these two perspectives and then multiple options within each perspective of the idea of old earth, creation and young earth creation. And so um, I'd like to go, I'd just like to let you just go on that and let us interject our questions as they come. Before we dig into that, um, do you have some personal foundational principles or perspectives that you have developed when you approach any area of faith and science? Like what, what are those foundational lenses that you look through when you when you personally dig into this stuff. Yeah, that's an excellent question, Todd. And I do, and I didn't even ask you to set me up like that, but you did it perfectly <laughs> um, because these are the starting assumptions. I have two of them. Okay. One is probably familiar to some of your listeners, and that is that all truth is God's truth. Hmm. So, what we find out if we finally figure out something actually seems to be. Um, you know, there will be a coherence with Scripture. One of the things that disillusioned me a little about science, or at least cautioned me, uh, I kind of went into studying science for nine years, uh, thinking, you know, science is very absolute, it's it's what is. And, And I underestimated the amount of interpretation there is to science. And so I will never lose my faith in Jesus because of what today we may think about the universe or about cosmology or about any other thing, because 
although Einstein radically changed the way we looked at the universe from a more Newtonian view up to 100 years ago to a relativistic view, um, you know, we could have another Einstein 2.0, you know, show up in 10 years with, mm. and we may find that, that, well, that was sort of right, but there is mm -hmm. a larger, more encompassing paradigm. And so science keeps changing, and it is an interpretive thing. I would be surprised how in the scientific literature, groups of scientists would literally argue with each other yep. over the same, the same data. Yep. But how you interpret that data and, and what you extrapolate from it is very subjective yep. and interpretive sometimes. So I lost my confidence, whereas our culture is trying to deify science, I lost my confidence in the absolutism of it's constantly changing. But yet, if science does discover things that seem to be annoyingly true, like we do believe there's probably gravity and things like that, mm -hmm. I mean, ultimately all truth is God's truth. Yep. The second assumption I work out of is this, and this really helped me. It's another little word equation. If all truth equals God's truth, then the fact that science work, the fact that science actually works does not equal, therefore, that there's no God. That mm. Just because science works, um, and, and people say, oh, because science works, we don't, first of all, say we don't need a God. And therefore, what you hear a lot is there is no God. Mm. Science does not have the tools to disprove that there's a God. I don't think it has the tools to prove it to God, mm -hmm. but it doesn't have the tools to disprove God. And it's a massive, if you just sit down and think about it for 10 minutes, it's a huge logical leap to go from the fact that science works, and I think science works, um, to then come to the conclusion that there's no God. Yeah, It's like my car works, I, I would drive a Toyota. Just because my car works doesn't mean there wasn't a manufacturing facility mm. somewhere <laughs> with real people that had to put it together mm -hmm. uh, after other real people designed my car. Mm -hmm. So um, I, I just think just because my car works and even if I can figure out everything about my car and why it works, um, you know, we get this thrown a lot at us. Well, we used to think, you know, lightning and thunder were the gods angry at us and all that stuff. Now we know lightning's electric max, uh, mm -hmm. magnetic, uh, you know, uh, static in the universe, in the atmosphere. You know, so just because we can now explain lightning and thunder, I mean, we don't need a god probably to explain that anymore. But that doesn't mean there is no god. Mm -hmm. And you got to step back into the bigger picture and say, but, but how was all this designed and made in the first place? Mm. And when you and here's where probabilities come in. Like I was reading a, a an article about scientists at the peak of their careers, like for instance in Great Britain, a very secular area, who at the peak of their career they are evangelical Christians for two reasons. Number one, the more that we're learning about how the universe works, uh, the less probable it could have happened by random chance. Yeah, right. And the more we look at the authenticity of the New Testament doctrines and the uh, documents and the Gospels in particular, and their very close-up eyewitness accounts, uh, those two things for scientists at the peak of their career are causing them to to live lives with Jesus at the center and to believe hmm. that there was a Creator. Mm. Well, and you know, and so so. 
it's a logical leap from science works, so therefore there must be no God. I mean, I can see you saying science works, and to some level, so we don't need a God to explain lightning and thunder or to explain quantum mechanics. But at the same time, when you take that one step further, science is at a loss, and there is no reason for anything to take your faith away in Jesus. Hmm. Yeah, I think... uh... yeah, just real quick, I just I think one of the one of the challenges in our humanity that I think fe- if it certainly feeds into my not in my stomach, um, and, I, and it probably feeds into many, maybe even without thinking about it, is that in our humanity and our temporary finite location dwelling, we can imagine time and existence never ending. Right. But we can't imagine time and existence never beginning. We can't imagine mm-hmm. it having to be a beginning. And that's the same thing exactly. with God. We can we can imagine yeah. uh, uh, our creator uh, never ending, but we can't imagine there never being a beginning. And so and I right. and I, I think that's just that's a tough that's a tough nut to wrestle down. Yeah. No, that's a tough nut. I think Einstein did us a favor 100 years ago because he demonstrated that actually space is related to time. Mm. And uh, and times of, we have dimensions of space, height, width, depth. Uh, but his theory of relativity, of course, demonstrated that time is another actual dimension. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, the faster you go, the more time slows down. And I mean, these things have been proven over and over and over yeah. again. So, um, so that immediately blows your mind about our very kind of physical three-dimensional view of the universe. And then to envision, so to envision both time and space as a part of the physical order. And then to imagine what... And so our universe is expanding right now, and time and space at the edges of our universe, as our universe expands, time and space are constantly being created. So outside of our universe, then there's no time and no space. Mm. And that would be the realm in which God existed before he spoke reality into being, according mm. to Genesis 1. And and it is mind-blowing to think of no time, no space. Impossible Uh, to comprehend. Yeah, yeah. And, and, you know, I, I run into people who say, well, I, I'll only believe what I see, you know, and yep. I go, you've never studied relativity, you've never studied quantum <laughs> mechanics, you know, of course you can see, you can't imagine this, I mean, we, we were confined to a three-dimension of space and one dimension of time uh, perspective, and for us in our arrogance to say we know enough to know what lies outside that, um, you know, I think we need to be a little more humble about all that. Mm. That's There's good. one other thing I could talk about here, maybe just mention, because I think it's kind of a bridge to Genesis 1. Um, Dr. Stephen Meyer with Discovery Institute just published a new book called The Return of the God Hypothesis. And I uh, actually have met him personally. I heard him in person. Mm. Just kind of summarize it this way in a lecture. I thought it was brilliant. He said right now there are three major fields in science. Physics, um, cosmology, which is a study of the universe and origins, and biology. So cosmology, physics, biology. Uh, Right now, most scientists uh, 
you know, some scientists are Christians, some aren't, mm -hmm. but it doesn't matter. Most scientists believe, when it comes to cosmology, that the universe had a beginning. A hundred years ago, most scientists, including Einstein, believed that there was no beginning to the universe. If there's mm -hmm. no beginning, you don't have to worry about how it started. Mm -hmm. And Einstein's theory of relativity demands a starting point to the universe. He was so troubled by that that he artificially added a term, an anti-gravity term to the relativity equations to mm. take out the starting point. He later called it the greatest blunder of his life mm. and, and, um, and ended up conceding that the universe had a beginning. Wow. Now, most scientists believe that. So cosmology says the universe has a beginning. Physics is telling us that the laws of name are finely tuned. I mean, to, to, to a degree of specification of a of a millionth of a unit, you know. I mean, if anything was was out of out of sync, and how all these factors could be totally precisely in sync yep. for the universe to work like yep. like it does, the probabilities are beyond imagination. Yep. That that, I mean, they're unbelievably low. The improbability that could happen without a guiding design. Uh, the improbabilities are so high that uh, that that is basically impossible. So we try to say, well, maybe there's infinite number of universes, so at least mm -hmm. that impossible probability happened once and yeah. all these things. But um, but you know what? This is why scientists are coming. It's kind of backing part of the scientific world up against the wall here. Mm -hmm. So so cosmology says the universe has a beginning. Um, Physics is telling us that the laws of, the, uh, of nature are, are, are finely tuned. I mean, finely mm -hmm. tuned. Yep. Uh, and then biology is telling us that life is coded with information. Yep. And information is non-material. Where did information come from? Mm -hmm. You know, where did that three billion word long uh, uh, DNA strand in every one of our mm. millions of cells, mm. where did that come from? Mm. And um, so, so... Those three statements that most scientists believe today, the universe had a beginning, the laws of nature are finely tuned, and life is coded with information. Mm. Not one of those statements takes my faith away. Yeah, yeah. If anything, it leaves me too thin. Yeah. scientists will say, well, someday we'll figure out how this happened, even yeah. though it's impossible. But but the fact right now we said... Um, I don't have grounds to give up a relationship with Jesus because of what science has discovered. Mm. That then leads us to Genesis. Are you ready? You want? Yeah, absolutely. Okay to go there. Okay. Yeah. Genesis? And 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 just to let you know, I'm not going to be pressing you on where you fall with this whole young earth, older thing. Personally, right. that's up yeah. to you if you want to, because I know that could be a can of worms. But I would, yeah, definitely want our listeners to to hear both sides. Okay. Now, remember I said science is very interpretive, highly interpretive. Mm -hmm. um, you know, our understanding of scripture also involves human interpretive lenses, right? Yeah. Like Galileo, when he figured out the earth actually circles the sun rather than circling the earth. I mean, he really came into trouble with the church. Because the Bible doesn't say things like the sun rises. Even today we would say, oh, the sun rose today. <laughs> or I think sunset is going to be at mm -hmm. 7.45 this evening. 
So, but does the sun actually set? Mm-hmm. No, that's just frame of reference language. Yep. I mean, refer- mm-hmm. relative to us, it looks like the sun is going to set yep. at 7:45 tonight. But it, it, but it's not that the sun's going around us. Yep. It just looks like that from our frame mm-hmm. of reference. Yep. But the Bible does talk about you know the sun going through the circle of the sky. So when you interpret that without taking frame of reference into account. You know, the the early church believed that the sun moved, not the earth. Yeah. So, you know, Galileo just used science to demonstrate that's not the case. Now we well, most of us do that now. And, and so the question is, how do you understand kind of figure of speech language, somewhat poetic language mm-hmm. in in the Bible? Just like we would use it, like we would say the sun sets. Well, that's technically not what's going to happen tonight, but yep. you know. We just say those things, and everybody knows what we mean. And so, um, th- so we do bring interpretation into our understanding of Scripture as well. And this is the case with Genesis one. And the big question is: Is Genesis one history, or is it poetry? Genesis one is the highest view of God that you'll find in any religion. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the creation myths that surrounded Israel when Genesis 1 was written viewed the gods who created as narcissistic, selfish, egocentric, and they created mankind largely as slave labor because they were too lazy to work. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you've got this low view of the gods and low view of human beings in in the surrounding areas. Some people think that Genesis 1 is not even attempting to tell us science at all, but rather give to Israel a high view of God and a high view of human beings. And what you end up in Genesis 1, compared to any other religious document, is you have the highest view of God and the highest view of the dignity and value of human beings mm. that you'll find anywhere else. Mm. I'm, I'm happy just walking away with that. <laughs> yeah. You know, in Genesis 1, yeah. a, of it, you know, God creates human beings, right, in yeah. his image. So, I mean, this is this unbelievably high view of God and high view of human beings, which does say that human beings have value because they're created in the image of an amazing God who's not lazy, who's not even brick, but looked to partner with us in the administration of this amazing creation. And so, you know, we're not here by accident, the random forces of the universe working in our favor. But we are here with intentionality. Mm, mm. In the beginning, and of course the whole scientific world has gone to the first three verses of Genesis, of the Bible, in the last hundred years. We now believe there was a beginning of some sort. In the beginning, God created. That's that's the whole game changer. Are we a mistake, or did God create? Mm. And if we are created, then we have value. If we're created in the image of God, we probably have accountability to God. And a God who cares about us, and what does that mean in terms of relationship with us? And whether you're old earth or young earth, whether you view Genesis 1 as poetry or you view Genesis 1 as history, Mm. um, you know what? I think that's an in-house debate. What you have to come away with is what does it tell us about God? What does it tell us about human beings? And what does it say about whether we're here totally on our own uh, by random chance? Or are we here by intentional? Design? And those are the fundamental mm-hmm. questions of yep. life. 
yeah. and that's where you get you know worship of life is all about relationship yeah. right yeah mm-hmm. and that that's where the relationship question comes mm. and so um i personally am old earth but but i respect young earthers maybe they're right but but what matters to me in my life is yeah. not young earth or old earth to me to me young earth you have to stretch a little scientifically too much for my comfort being um a whole part of the camp is actually theistic evolution part of the evangelical camp these days mm-hmm. a growing number of believers believe god used evolution for us you know and yeah. i think you have to stretch theology a little bit too much there yeah i i'm a i'm an old earther who believes human beings there was a little adam and eve created as an act of special creation that's who are uncomfortable but if i'm wrong it doesn't change the fact right that I'm not here by chance, yep. and that um, I serve a God that's unparalleled among all the so-called gods, and uh, I have value, the Christian faith, in value to me as a human being, along with the opportunity of relationship with other human beings and relationship with God that no other religion can give me. Yep, and that's and that's the bottom line. That's the bottom line. That's the bottom line. Um, so a couple curiosity questions. Um, Am I right to assume that most current Christians grew up with the idea of young earth or not necessarily? Yes. Um, yeah. I mean, I'm a part of, you know, I, I'm a part of a movement called the Assemblies of God. Most of our early uh, fathers of the Assemblies of God, a hundred, you know, a hundred and 10, 12 years ago when we were formed in mm-hmm. 1914, um, uh, most of those were old earthers. Uh, they were very bright men, but they were old earthers because they believe in what we call the gap theory, that there's mm. a huge gap between Genesis 1-1 and Genesis 1-2. Okay. Um, uh, so, with the, oh, go ahead. Yeah, okay, in the mid part of the 20th century, though, there there were emerging verses, voices like this and others, as well as the emergence of the homeschool movement, uh, but by the time I was a Sunday school kid in the 1950s, uh, there was a real shift towards a young earth view. Okay. And um, the gap theory might have been referred to as a possibility, but probably not. And so I grew up with the earth is at 6,000 years old. Yep. And, um, and the young earth theory uh, really depends on flood geology to make sense of what we see now that the Noah's flood was so catastrophic and there were such major shifts in the crust of the earth that, because it does talk about the fountains of the deep being opened up. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so um, flood geology is what makes young earth, you know, conceivable. Mm. Um, and then you, you get 6,000 years by going back in the genealogies in the Old Testament, although there's some interpretive problems with that. But that's how you come to that. And yes, that was the predominant view. Now, I would say in the last 20 years, there's been, you know, with voices like Hugh Ross and others um, who are highly sensible, highly devoted to Jesus, scientifically trying, they would say, look, there's so much evidence that the earth is more than 6,000 years old and that the universe, like the Webb Space Telescope looking billions of years back in time. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that. Yeah. That's because time, you know, light travels at a certain speed. Mm-hmm. It's very fast, but mm-hmm. it's a certain speed. Mm-hmm. So it takes light 
eight minutes and 20 seconds to go from the sun to the earth. So when you look at the sun, you're looking eight minutes into the past, eight mm. minutes and 20 seconds into the past. Because mm. you're looking yeah, at not what's crazy. happening now, yeah. but you're looking at what happened eight and a half minutes ago. Yep. Because it took light that long to come. So now we're looking at galaxies uh, that the light that we see in those galaxies has taken eight and a half, you know, several years, say, come to us. Say That's that why again. It took several what to get to us? Billion years. Wow. So, you know, galaxies that are so far from us that it takes billions of years for the light to travel mm. that far. Our closest neighbor galaxy in the universe is Andromeda. And it's at the speed of light, it would take two and a half million, million with an M, million years to get there. So oh, I've nice. seen Andromeda through a, through an amateur telescope. It's mm. a beautiful spiral galaxy. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when I saw that galaxy, I was looking at what that galaxy looked at like, not now, but two and a half million years ago, because wow. it's that far from us. It takes light that far. So that would be so, that would be obviously part of the argument for old Earth theory, then. Old Earth, yes. Right. I see. Okay. And so with, and, so, go ahead. Young Earth, young Earth would say just like Adam was created with age. He yeah. wasn't created as a baby. He's created as a man. Yeah. That the that, that the universe was created with mm-hmm. the perception yeah. of age. Yeah. I, I don't know how that works though, because Andromeda really is two and a half million light years away from us, you know? Yeah. So I, 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 that's where I, I don't understand young earth well enough to understand how they get figured that out. Mm-hmm. And young I'm earth, much more comfortable with an older. And so just clarification for some of our listeners, young earth would be the 6,000 year timeline. Is that correct? Yeah. Okay. Some Got say it. 10, some things I read go back as far as 10,000 yep. years, but somewhere most it's at 6,000. Mm-hmm. That's the classic. You, yeah. So with so old, the universe is six thousand years old, and um, yeah, yeah. So with with old Earth, is there a general? Like I'm sure there's a million different opinions of what that means. Is there a general consensus description of what old Earth means? No. Okay. Um, other than it's old. Okay. So they would say the Earth is, what, four and a half billion years old. The planet and the universe is a little over 13 and a half billion years old. Wow. So um, wow. <laughs> uh, there would probably be consensus around that. Um, I, I look at it this way. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the Earth. And then in verse 2, you have planet Earth. And it's dark and empty. And then in verse 3, you start the first of the six creation days. So I, so an old author would view the six creation days as God's process to take an empty, covered with water, dark planet. Dark probably because it was shrouded with a dense atmosphere like other planets are. So I look at the, so it looks like verse two on start the, this, this six creative days, Mm -hmm. whether those are 24 hour or periods of time. Mm -hmm. Um, And day could be used either way. Um, That is not the creation of the universe. That's the outfitting 
of life thriving on the surface of our planet. Mm -hmm. And the six days do create, do follow over time what could be an intelligent scientific understanding of how our life started and our planet started to flourish. So... Okay, so I have... So, you know, yep. the time scales people disagree on yep. somewhat, maybe. Yeah. But, yeah. So I have one last question directly related to that, and then Taylor has a question for you. Um, so with old Earth and young Earth, is there a relatively agreeable consensus on how long humanity's been around? No. Okay. There's There are... Uh, there. Uh, there'd be schools within old earth that human beings were created more than 6,000 years ago. Mm -hmm. And then there's that evolution, uh, theistic evolutionary camp, right, which right, would say right. perhaps human beings evolved as God either set the initial conditions mm -hmm. or guided mm -hmm. the process of that mm -hmm. by divine intention. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, um, I'm not in the theistic evolutionary, but, um, within old earth, there would be disagreement over how long ago the flood happened and how long ago the creative creation of Adam and Eve yeah. happened. Like, do we know, so, do we know an, with the, within the old earth folks, do we know the furthest back some people would think of humanity or do we not even really know how far back some think? Well, if they're evolutionary and their understanding could be several several billion, billion years. Mm -hmm. And then what I, about... I think most, yeah, most old Earthers, though, would say probably not as early as 6,000 years ago, but not billion. You know, the Earth is only 4.5 billion years old. Yeah. So so somewhere so between 6,000 and 4.5 billion. Right. Okay. Yeah, right. okay. Well, somewhere that's between 6,000 and 4.5 billion, if that's close enough. <laughs> wow. Okay. Yeah. Well, um, I Uncle Jim, I, I remember you saying something about... Um, the humility of, you know, if I don't see it, I don't believe it because there's so much beyond what we can see. Can we, I'm curious though. Um, here's, here's a thought I wasn't planning on saying the song Waymaker, the bridge says, even if, even when I don't see it, you're working, even when I don't feel it, you're working. I think that's yeah. become an anthem for my generation specifically because so many people would like to see what you know, we believe in and, and feel that way and is so emotionally driven that it's like, why would I fall in love with something that I can't see? You know? Um, so, so in thinking about sources of proof for in, like for an intellectually minded person, um, beyond the general, that's a prideful assumption to make, where would you, where would you direct myself or some of our listeners to like, Hey, look into this thing or this fact that, you know what I mean? Like, where would you head people for sources of study and for proof? Yeah, there are some great books. I would recommend Meyer, Meyer's book, the return of the God hypothesis. Um, uh, uh, Hugh Ross at uh, reasons.org. Uh, he's written numbers of great books, including he's got a book on understanding Genesis 1 to 11. Um, I, I would look at, at some of those. The leading physical chemist in the world is a guy by the name of France, uh, of um, by the name of Schaefer. 
and uh, he was converted to Christ as a professor at Stanford, I believe. Hmm. He's written a great book on um, on co- it's called Conflict or Coherence, uh, making a case. Um, and so there there are some good resources. I, w- I would just come back to humility, though. I'm going to read you, and this will be very quick. I'm going to read you from a secular science book by Dr. Roger Jones, who actually teaches at, used to teach at the University of Minnesota. Hmm. He writes, quantum theory claims that science can provide no pictures of the inner workings of nature. Not only are we blind to the workings of nature, but even our brief glimpses are no objective, independent reality, but of a subjective observer-determined world. So hmm. if, if you're going to deify science, you, you, need to, you need to look at quantum mechanics. I encourage you to look at quantum mechanics. Hmm. Um, and, and there is a limit to what science can see into, and we can know for sure. And, and that needs to leave me open to other possibilities. Hmm. So I think the whole science of quantum mechanics might be an area you want to start leading mm-hmm. on. That's pretty cool. Yeah, and uh, I guess one more question in that. If somebody were looking for validation of proof of um, scripture and documents and stuff, what's a good area to head in that direction? Oh, yeah. Um you can go on to websites, uh, you know, you can Google search some of that stuff mm-hmm. well. And, uh, you know, looking at, if you go to the, 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 the you know, the Bible Museum in Washington, D.C., mm-hmm. uh, if you go onto their website, I believe they have resources there. I could cool. be wrong. But um, uh, tracing the history of the manuscripts we have mm-hmm. uh, of, uh, of, you know, we have much more manuscript evidence in the Gospels and the New Testament closer when they're actually written, actually, than mm-hmm. we do about the Roman Empire. Sure. So uh, that's, and then the other, up to the discovery of the Dead Sea Scrolls in the late 1940s, our oldest copy of the New Testament of the Bible, the Masoretic text, was 1000 AD. Hmm. So it was only 1000 years ago. Hmm. But the Dead Sea Scrolls upset this whole thing. They date to before Christ, hundreds of years, a couple hundred years before Christ, wow. and they are, they are the Old Testament documents, uh, with, with no errors. I mean, hmm. you know, people say, well, the Bible changed over time. The Dead Sea Scrolls dating before Christ, are the, of the same text as we have, in our Bible wow. today for the That's Old Testament. Amazing. So. Look at Dead Sea Scrolls. Go to places like the BibleMuseum.org to actually look at the scholarship around around the textual evidence uh, and authenticity behind what our English Bibles are. Today. That's amazing. Thank you for those resources. I hope people dive into that. That's exciting. Well, um, you may or may not know this, Uncle Jim. We've got an honorary member of our podcast that um, we sneak him in here pretty much every week. And, uh, oh, yeah, so I've met him, I think. you've met him, you think <laughs> uncle Jim, you're on with Billy Bob McCall. Is this the world yeah. famous Dr. Jim Bradford? Hello. Great to hear from you. Oh, again, you're Billy there. Bob. Oh my God. I can't believe I'm on with Dr. J. 
Sam Bradford. I think you're probably the smartest person I've ever been able to talk to. And I, I'm just in awe. How? Oh, man, this is amazing. Okay, okay. Now, first of all, I just want to say that I know a thing or two about a thing or two. And so, for example, I've been stalking you on the Internet. And, you oh, know, no. like we get we get we get signal, you know, about once a month or where, where I live. And so I took that opportunity to get on there and and I was I was I was searching you and and I was stalking you. And, uh, you know, I found out where you live, you know, and I've never revealed exactly where I live. But let's just say that. You may or may not live all that far from me, you know, down there, Springfield, close to the Ozarks. That's all I'm going to say for now. That's oh, all man. I'm going to say for I, now. I, but I, as well, I was up in the Ozarks, and and as I was stalking you, and and actually I've been listening in on this conversation, which has been amazing. It's blowing my mind. I don't know if I can tell my folks about old earth, but I'll see what I can do. But anyway, uh, I, I digress. Um, uh, anyway, what, what, I, what I heard you allude to and what I saw on the Internet is that you are a Trekkie. You uh-huh. are a You're fan right. of Star Trek. Am I right there? Oh, yeah. Oh, you got me right there. Oh, man. Yes. I got So I got a couple of questions for you. First of all, now... I'm assuming you were all in on the original Star Trek, Captain Kirk, Commander Spock. But, uh, well, it would have been Lieutenant, I suppose, back then. <laughs> See, I know a thing or two about a thing or two. Question, uh, question is, like, were you ever into the other Star Treks, like Enterprise, Voyager, Deep Space Nine, or were you just an original Trekkie? Mainly an original. I did like Star Trek The Next Generation and Voyager. Wasn't really into Deep Space Nine. Uh, I feel and I'm not really into the recent one series, but uh, I'm, I'm kind of an original. Yeah. And I, I got to know part of um, William Shatner's family. No. Never met him personally. No. But, um, but I, I, I do. Uh, uh, when I lived in Southern California, yeah. Oh my so, you goodness. know, he's kind of my favorite captain, Captain Kirk. Now, okay, question. So do you have like a favorite episode? I mean, I know there's a lot of standard favorites, but does one of them rise above for you? Favorite episode? Oh my. <laughs> uh, uh, you know what? I, uh, um, I have the pilot uh, of the pilot season. It had... Uh, Captain Pike, the previous captain on mm. there, and uh, just the whole, just the setting of that whole Star Trek world. Yeah. I'll probably go back to that one. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'll tell you my favorite episode. My, my you're not going to believe this. My favorite episode is when Captain Kirk and Spock were dueling it out with Darth Vader. I mean, their labor, oh, their labor, their laser sabers going, their lightsabers going. I mean, that was like, what do you think of that episode? I mean, I thought that was amazing. 
That would be an episode. Unfortunately, you're getting your universes mixed up. <laughs> what do you mean? That, that would, you just, Darth Vader, you just stepped into the Star Wars universe, not the Star Trek universe. Oh, oh my goodness. So there's a difference between Star Trek and Star Wars? Uh-huh. You mean, you're telling me yeah. that, like, Scotty and McCoy, like, never met? Luke Skywalker and and and, oh. and 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 what's his name Ben? Oh. Uh, uh, yeah, the, what, they never met. Know? Well, how's yeah, that Princess possible? Leah, Han Solo, they never met those guys. How's that? That was in a that was in a galaxy far, far away a long time ago. Oh my goodness! And uh, Star Trek is a little closer in in our galaxy. Okay, well, my bad, my bad on that one. I got to go back and do some more studying. I'm gonna oh, show but your heart's you. right. Yes, yes, your yes. Your heart's so. right. Well, what a privilege, what an honor it's been to talk with you. You just, you just have a blessed week, and and just keep, just keep doing what you're doing, man. Bringing truth to the people of the world. Thanks, well, Billy I hope Bob. You keep doing the same. Hey, thanks, Billy Bob. I find it funny, Uncle Jim, thinking about these galaxy conversations in the media we just acknowledged. It's like our world can't get enough of making movies about everything we just talked about. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Right. Yep. Uh, and it continues in in many ways. Well, it's been an honor to have you here, yes. and uh, we're excited to see the fruit of this conversation for people as they check it out. Well, thank you. That's just great hanging around with you guys again and talking to you. Thank you so much. I feel privileged to be able to especially talk about this subject. Yeah, thank you. God bless you. All right, thanks so much. All right, right, bye. Bye. As usual, we've got some links available for you in the description of this podcast. You can just click on a link that takes you to all my content, all my new music. You can head to worshipislife.org for resources and more material. And you can head to jimbradford.org to check out my Uncle Jim's podcast and all his stuff. My name is Jim Bradford, and you're listening to the Worship is Life podcast. <laughs>